Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. I sat down for my CNN show tonight with Cindy McCain, the widow of Senator John McCain, an extraordinarily impactful leader and philanthropist in her own right, to talk about the senator, his legacy, her work, and where the country is today. Here's that full conversation. Mrs. McCain, it's great to be with you here here in your home. (laughs) Call me Cindy, please. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's been a little more than a year since your husband's passing and that wonderful kind of national civic Mm -hmm. communion uh, Mm -hmm. that surrounded that week of uh, memorials that were really a testament to his values yeah. and to uh, the institutions he loved and represented. Yeah. But for you, it was much more than that, the loss. How are you doing and how, how is your family doing? We're doing fine. Um, it's I do, My job right now is to make sure that our family, is everyone's in good shape. And, you know, there are various stages um, of grief and of processing and everything else. So. Uh, but we're doing fine. We're doing okay. He was such a, a central mm-hmm. figure. We were talking earlier, you know, yeah. people use the phrase larger than life he was. <laughs> characters, but he's even in, in, in your family. Yeah, he was. He was He was the, you know, he was what we rallied around. He was our, our guiding light and our, and our, you know, our savior, our warrior. And so when you, when you lose someone of such magnitude in any family, it doesn't necessarily mean John, but I mean, in any family, it's devastating. And you kind of lose your rudder for a while. And, and so, so for me, I've really had to make sure that I stepped up to the plate and made sure everyone's, you know, we're all together and we're all, you know, everyone's talking and everyone's, um, you know, I see everyone. I make my rounds, make sure I see everybody. So. You just welcomed a new grandchild. I did, yes. Your son Jimmy had a grand. Yeah, baby Luke. Uh huh. Um, and and how do you think the country is? I can't tell you how many times uh, lately I run into people saying, "Gee, I wonder what John McCain would be mm-hmm. saying right now." What would John McCain be saying right now? Oh gosh, I think I think he'd be disgusted with some of the stuff that's going on. I really do. I think he'd be what he'd be saying was that he'd be railing against what's going on, and. Uh, I think John provided a lot of cover for other members, and when he would do it, then they could get behind him kind of thing. And I'm not seeing a, a real rudder in the Senate right now mm-hmm. uh, on, in all this, but I, I, I know he'd be very upset with what's happening. Why do you happening. think that is? Why do you think people are so reticent uh, about, about speaking out? There's, it seems like there's this sort of reign of terror about yeah. taking th- on the president, criticizing him. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it has to do with re-elections and, and uh, keeping their heads down. And, and I'm not being critical, because I understand what it means to get re-elected. But, um, 
at some point you have to you have to do what you, what you were elected to do, and that is represent the country as well as your local people. But uh, I, I think John would be, I know he'd be terribly upset by this whole thing. He was upset before he died. He saw what was going on. Yeah. So I just wish, um, I wish he were here, like all of us, I wish he were here. Um, but we need him more than ever, we really do. He, um, he embodied certain values that yeah. people identified with him. Uh, you know, duty, country, self over mm -hmm. uh, a part, you know, a country over self, country over uh, party, fidelity to allies, mm -hmm. uh, a, a commitment to human rights. Mm -hmm. are, are these values uh, the values that you see being represented right now? Well, I see, you know, I, I, in, in members, yes, and in certain, certain areas, but remember, too, John went above and beyond. John was... He, he took the time to go to these terrible, these countries, not terrible countries, but the countries that terrible, were having troubled, country. troubled countries. And, um, and so they knew him. They didn't always agree with him, but they knew he was telling them the truth. And I think that's what's missing in all of this, is that it, you know, people miss his, his candor and his ability to, to rep, help represent them, fight for them, fight for human rights and dignity. And, and all the things that, that a country who wants democracy wants altogether. So I, I just wish that, I wish there were more fighters uh, like John was. There are many, I mean, we have some good people in the Senate, believe me, but it, it, I just wish there were more of them, really. Yeah. When you read the story uh, about the president's decision overnight to uh, withdraw from Syria mm -hmm. and uh, uh, essentially leave the Kurds, mm -hmm to themselves. That must have been one of those, yeah. gee, I can only imagine what John would have said about yeah, that. I know, because he, you know, John was a huge fighter for the Kurds. I mean, has spent time up there, has been up there with them uh, during fighting. And, and so his, his understanding that what democracy means to them, what freedom means to them, what human rights mean to them, um, I think he, I'm quite certain he would, I know he would have been very upset, and I was too. I was just upset that we would, we would leave some people behind. Um, so I, you know, I'm not a, a war expert, I'm not a, a military person, but I, I understand what helping the little guy means and standing up for the little guy, because I saw John do it too many times. What, what about um, just uh, keeping a word to an ally? The yeah. Kurds lost 11,000 yeah. uh, people essentially fighting uh, with, on our behalf uh, against ISIS. Right. Uh, so what is it, you travel the world, mm -hmm. what does it say to people if they s watch the U.S. withdraw from its commitment? It's not a good message at all. I, I just think that when, when, I don't think many people understand that when the Americans arrive, I mean this is, a lot of countries view this as, my God, they're here, we're gonna be okay. And so to break your word with anybody, no matter how large or small, is that affects the entire country, not just the one that we're trying to help, but our country. Um, uh, it's important, I mean, in, in every realm, as a United States citizen and as a, a country that is the beacon of hope around the world, that we keep our word and that we, that we stay um, true to our own values and that is, you know, dignity, duty, honor country, the things you just mentioned. Yeah. He also was uh, deeply committed to 
Ukraine mm. and, a, and, and a, a free Ukraine and yeah. supporting Ukraine in its uh, battle uh, with the Russians. So right. this, that must have been another, what would John McCain have said moment. And very few people are, now you hear a lot of people sort of justifying holding up military aid in exchange for political yeah. favors. I mean, everyone knew where John stood on that when he was alive. I mean, he was, <clears throat> the Russians are there. I mean, this is, this is, you know, these people are trying to be overtaken by an aggressive country that, that bullies countries, among other things. And John, I'm, oh, I, 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 could, I could almost hear him when, <laughs> in my own ear when that happened that day, because it just, we, again, these people need our help. We offered our help. We promised our help. Um, we need to, you know, remember that. Uh, the McCain Institute sort of got mentioned in the midst of the story because Kurt Volker, who was the, I guess, founding executive director yes. of the McCain Institute, was also a special envoy uh, to uh, Ukraine and was a witness in the impeachment yes. uh, hearings and uh, was carrying messages back and forth, apparently, between yes. various players in this saga. Uh, and he uh, resigned as chair of the McCain Institute, were the two related? Did you ask him to resign? Yes, um, it was, it, it, Kurt is a good man. He's a good man, but this was overshadowing the Institute. It was overshadowing what we stand for and what we work for. And so it was, it was time. Kurt needs to concentrate on, on what's going on now. Uh, he's a good man. Uh, you know, I'm sorry all this happened. I really am. Uh, but I, my first goal is to look out for the Institute. You, um, there's another part of this beyond the sort of public mm -hmm. policy mm -hmm. uh, part of it, and that is that you've known Joe Biden for, for, for since the, as long as you knew John McCain. He was the first U.S. Senator I ever met. <laughs> and he was there that night. In fact, it was Jill Biden who said yeah. to John McCain, hey, why don't you go over and talk to yeah, him? Yeah, no, it's true. That's very true. <laughs> and he wrote in his last wonderful book, The, Wet, the Restless Wave, yeah. Joe and I have argued a lot over the years, but he's a first-class human being, and it's a lucky thing to be his friend. Mm -hmm. So how did you react when, you know, the president now has torn after him, called him corrupt, called his son mm -hmm. corrupt? Mm -hmm. I, well, he's my friend. I mean, I reacted, you know, I had the same reaction that any friend would have. I was very disappointed in all of this. Um, you know, again, John always worked across the aisle, and he did that in both friendship and in, in, what he, in his service. And it's important to remember that, that, that we as Americans have got to work together. And there's no reason to, in my opinion, to, to disparage anyone. Uh, that's running, you know, just because you disagree with them. And that's kind of where we're at right now, is that if you don't agree with me, then, then you're, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm right, but you're wrong. And that's not the case. Do you, um, would you vouch for uh, Biden's integrity? I would, yes. I think, he's a, I think he's a lovely man. I mean, I really do. Um, I, I differ with him on his politics all too often, but that's okay. You know, we've, we, uh, we, our friendship goes way beyond that. I mean. Joe Biden um, has kept this family together in many ways because after John's death, uh, and before, he came, he came out several times to see John and me, and then 
he's my daughter Megan. I mean, he's really taken a, an interest in trying to trying to guide her a bit through this. It's been very hard for her, and so uh, I mean, this is our friend. You know, um, Megan is probably the most prominent McCain uh, <laughs> these days because of yes, her role on The View. Mm -hmm. Later this uh, week, uh, I think she's uh, having Donald Trump, or they're having Donald Trump Jr., mm -hmm. Kimberly Gil Guilfoyle, mm -hmm. on The View. Have you offered any advice to her <laughs> on how she should, because I'm sure she's got a few things on her mind. Well, no, I haven't offered any advice to her because she could, she's quite capable of doing this job. I'm, I can't wait to watch it, though. She's, you know, Megan is, uh, we used to joke when she was younger that she's John McCain in a dress, and she is. She has his, his sharp wit, his, his intricate mind for discerning issues and discerning right from wrong and some of these real nuanced things. Um, she's really And she doesn't mind expressing it. No, either. she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you enjoy it. Neither did John. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 is, uh, that is for sure. Um, you mentioned um, uh, f uh, friends, and uh, another really dear friend of yours is Lindsey Graham. Yes. He is almost a member of your family. Mm -hmm. He traveled the globe mm -hmm. with Senator McCain. Uh, I was with Harry Reid uh, recently, uh, right, mm -hmm. for, for this program, <laughs> and, and, and Harry uh, Reid said, that um, that he's that he admired Lindsey Graham as a John McCain Republican, mm -hmm. but that now now he's become a, a running for re-election in South Carolina, trying to get re-elected Republican. Is, is that fair? Um, I, you know, I can't gauge a lot of this because I don't know what's going on in South Carolina. I haven't really politically kept up on a lot of this stuff. Listen, Lin, Lindsey's a member of our family, and. Uh, I love him regardless, and he will always be, you know, we, he, he and I are the same age, but I feel like sometimes he's my, my fifth child <laughs> in many ways. I love him to death, and, and um, you know. So presumably, occasionally, you have some guidance to offer your children. Do you offer your fifth child any guidance <laughs> these days? I have offered advice. Yes, I have. Okay. To him. I'm sure you won't share that. <laughs> um, it isn't just... Um, it isn't just the living that the president has gone after, it's also the dead. He's yeah. continued to um, go after Senator McCain, mm -hmm. um, including this bizarre thing where the, he was in Asia and uh, the White House ordered the military to cover the, the name of the USS mm -hmm. John McCain because it, they thought it would disturb uh, yeah. the president. Um, how did you react when you heard that news? Well, here's how exactly what I felt. I thought, how sad for the crew members of one of the finest ships in the Navy to, to be treated in that fashion, that somehow the name of the ship is disparaging. Um, so I, that, that was my first thought in all of this. And, and I also thought, uh, you know, this has been, you know, this, these men and women serve, they give their lives in many cases. This, there's no room for this. There's no room for it. And I know there's been different stories about what happened, but um, I happen to think the USS McCain's a pretty good ship. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think, I mean, right back to the campaign when he mm -hmm. said, I don't think of John McCain as a hero. He may be the only person in the country mm -hmm. who believes that. Why do you think that he is so intent on making these points? I cannot answer that. I do not know. I, I uh, you know, 
I, I, it, I don't, I, and I've, I've been baffled by this. I really don't know what's going on. I do know this, that John was a hero and will continue to be a hero. And I think most Americans would agree with me on that, whether you agreed with his politics or not, he was a good man. You, um, I was honored to be part of your retreat, the McCain Institute mm -hmm. uh, in Sedona this year. And it was a gathering of elected officials. And, oh, it was a thrill to be there. Government officials, mm -hmm. military, diplomatic, NGO leaders. Uh, you founded that institute in 2012 mm -hmm. to fight for, for human rights, against human trafficking, promote democracy mm -hmm. and freedom around the world. And I know one of your focuses has been uh, your concern about the global refugee right. crisis. And you spoke about mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. uh, there. The U.S. has ratcheted down mm -hmm. Uh, its quota for refugees, accepting mm -hmm. refugees to the lowest level mm -hmm. uh, since the refugee resettlement program began in 1980. Um, what is the message that that sends uh, about the U.S., but also to other countries about what their obligations are? Right. Well, I, I of course, disagree with rationing it down. I think that um, that, you know, we our country welcomes the, the grand fiber of refugees and what they bring to these countries. I've lived to this country. I'm the son of one, by the way. So. Well, I've been, you know, I've, I've lived on the border. I was born and raised in a state. I've lived on the border my entire life. And I see nothing but richness, integrity, um, great contributions to the community that the Hispanic community has offered this state and this country. So I take to heart when people say, well, no, they're, they, they're maybe not the finest people you could let in. I disagree. I disagree. And I think that, that especially unaccompanied children, uh, which is very, that's a whole different issue. But um, it's our duty to help those less fortunate and those who are running for their lives. And that's exactly what's going on right now. Yeah. And um, I, just dis I just disagree with that. I wish we could allow more to come in. The, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the, the state of the Republican Party. You were actually talked about uh, when your husband passed uh, as potentially mm -hmm. succeeding him mm -hmm. in the Senate. How, how serious uh, was that? Did, did, mm -hmm. Were you talked to? Did you mm -hmm. think about it? Mm -hmm. And what, what, what was your thought process through all of that? Um, I, I was talked to, seriously. Um, I did think about it. But at the time, it was just moments after my husband had died. And I had to weigh what was more important, and my family was more important, in making sure that everyone was in a good place and, and that, they were, that they were okay. This was a blow to us. And so I didn't feel like I could do any job except the one about my family. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. You, um, you said recently that uh, this isn't the party of Ronald Reagan and John McCain anymore, and it prompts the question, is it the party of Cindy McCain? Do you consider yourself uh, a Republican still? I do. Yes, I do. I, I'm not leaving the Republican Party. I, I love the Republican Party. I mean, that's our home. Um, but we're in a cycle. You know, there's pendulums to politics, and I know you know this, but, you know, five years we're here and then we come back down and then we swing the other way and I've seen this many times now. Um, I think I think the party probably pro doesn't quite represent those of us who are a little more moderate. 
Um, and I'd like to see... In fact, see there was some resistance when your name came up. Mm -hmm. There was some resistance among sort of base right. Republicans. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, you must not have been surprised by that. No, no. But for me, you know, I, I want my party to do well, and I want my party to succeed because, because that's what democracy is in this country. But I... I, I will, will hope that the younger people who are moderate, more, you know, more moderate than the party represents, will have a place at, at the same Republican table that I was afforded through the years. Mm -hmm. um, we need, I think we're, our party has always been a good party, but I think we need to be a little more Does Donald Trump represent the party that you believe in? I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know because everything's so so... Uh, so embellished. I mean, it's hard for me to sometimes really understand. As far as my state party goes, I think they do very well. I think they're well-meaning people. And, and hopefully, you know, they'll be a little more inclusive with those who are not quite as, as conservative as some of the others. We all have an opinion. You've been through a lot of elections in the state of Arizona. You're a you're, you, you have to qualify as an expert on this state. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Arizona potentially turning blue in mm -hmm. 2020. Is that a real possibility? I think it is. I think it's a real possibility. Um, it's, uh, you know, we see, we've seen a lot of new people, a lot of influx from various parts of the country. Um, I think, uh, and our younger people are more moderate and things. So I think you may, may possibly see a blue state coming up. Um, I mean, I'd like it not to be, but, but I understand, you know, if it does. That, again, that's that pendulum doing this. Could thing. you see yourself voting for the president? I don't know. Um, I wrote my husband in last time. So I didn't, I didn't have a choice on either side. Um, but I want, here's the, here, with that said, I believe in the presidency. I believe in what it stands for and what we as Americans stand for. So, um, it's a, you know it's a decision I'll make at the at the time, and I don't dislike anybody. Don't don't misunderstand me. I don't dislike anybody. I, I want to talk to you about the two presidential races that you were involved in <laughs> and how you process those because they were different, yeah. qualitatively yeah. Uh, different. Uh, I remember the two thousand campaign, mm -hmm. and John McCain got to run as the maverick right. that he is. Yeah. He was, uh, uh, you know, challenging conventional thinking mm -hmm. of both parties. Yeah. Uh, and he seemed to have a ball. He was yeah. on that Straight Talk Express. Right. You were on the bus as well a lot of, of that yeah. time. And it seemed like a lot of fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. Senator McCain won this spectacular victory in the New Hampshire primary by 17 points mm -hmm. over George W. Bush, who was, you know, the, the sort of presumed front runner. Yeah in the campaign. The race then turned to South Carolina. Yeah, this is 2000, yeah. In 2000, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and it became really, really nasty, um, including um, really negative uh, campaigning around, you have, you, you adopted a daughter from Bangladesh, mm -hmm. yes. uh, Bridget. Beautiful and, girl, yeah. Thousands of calls started being made to voters in South Carolina saying John McCain has a black child, Did you the know? inference being, you know, yeah. uh, very, you know, salacious and right. awful. And, um, and it, it was mean, but it was, 
it was effective. And I know that you were um, infuriated mm -hmm. by that. You mm -hmm. tried to keep it away from Bridget. I did. And were you able to? No. Um, it was several years later, <clears throat> and she was she got onto the internet. I never it never occurred to me that she would Google herself, and I don't know why because it, it seems a normal thing to do now, but she Googled herself, and this whole thing came up, and <clears throat> she came in. I happened to be home at the time, and she came in to where I was sitting in the den, and she was weeping, and said, and her the words out of her mouth were exactly this. Mommy, why does the president hate me? And I mean, it broke my heart. It just broke my heart. It's hard to explain to a child, look, this is just tough politics, you know. But that, it's probably not a good enough reason. To no, not a good enough reason at all. And it's affected her. She, she, it's affected her throughout her adulthood so far. You, um, you walked away saying never again. I did. <laughs> How'd that work for you? <laughs> well, I was, I was the last one on board in 08. My, in fact, they were dragging my toes in the sand to get me up there. Um, I just, you know, I, I certainly wanted John to do it, and I wanted him to not have to look back and say, I coulda, woulda, shoulda kind of thing. Um, I knew I was going to get on board, but I really, it pained me again to, to... Because of what you had been through. Yeah, to put the kids through that again. And the 08 race was... Uh, certainly a different race. You had, you, you had the 24-hour news cycle that had, was kind of, as you know, uh, kind of dominates the whole thing. But what was discerning, and I know you've seen it, disconcerting, I should say, is to look in the back of the airplane and see two reporters talking to each other, interviewing each other, and then one the next day or that later that day says, an unnamed source on the campaign. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, it just, it was much different. And the, the tone was different. Although, and I know you know this, um, I thought that our two guys ran the best race they could. And it was an honorable race. Yeah. And, and that and was, Obama. that was, yes, that was the most important part about that is that, that they both ran honorable campaigns about the issues. Mm -hmm. And that's what it should be about. And I think we've seen the last of that for a while. And in the midst of this, uh, you, you, your, your, your son enlisted in the Marines. Yes. Yes. 17 did. years old. 17. Completely unbeknownst to you that he was going to do that? Well, no, he had been talking about it. And John and I had a choice. Look, he's talking about it. We know he's going to go in either way. Either way, so let's support him and sign him. Let because we had to sign the paperwork because he was underage, and so we did because we, you know, we we engage service. I mean, that's what, yes. who we are. But it was a hard swallow for me. Yeah, to, to, and, and he, he was deployed in the midst of this. He went right in with the surge. He was in El Ambar province, the worst of the worst. And he saw heavy combat. And this was going on while you were involved in the campaign. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with that? And were you worried that, he, that his identity would make him more of a target? I was petrified that they were going to find out who he was. Um, several news agencies were trying to find him just to see how but they, you know, they could dig up anything on him. And uh, all a mom wants to do when a child's like that is you want to talk about him. Because somehow if you talk about them, it's going to keep them safe. You know, that's ridiculous, I know. And I couldn't say a word. I could not say a word. Obviously, John and I talked later on but during the day, but we never breathed his name on the campaign. You carried a phone with you hoping to hear from him. 24-7. Left it on all the time. And we did, because usually it was the middle of the night when he would call from yeah. there.
Yeah, you know, um, it does underscore the experience of being the mom of someone mm -hmm. uh, in the service. So few mm -hmm. Americans, you know, 1% of the population is providing mm -hmm. uh, all of these mm -hmm. uh, servicemen, but yeah. it is a full family oh. commitment. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I, I you know, I've spoken to so many families and members of, of the military and veterans of the military through the years. Um, the same constant comment, comment in the whole thing is just, I would do it again kind of thing. And these kids are so devoted and so dedicated to this amazing country we live in. And when I looked at him and he was, there were kids his age and, you know, when he was getting ready to get on the bus to leave, um, I was fine when they all, because he's got his gun, you know, the whole thing where they're getting on the bus. And I was fine until a little five-year-old boy started running after the bus, beating on the back of the bus saying, Daddy, Daddy, mm -hmm. don't go. And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that is hopeful for the future is you see more and more people who have served in these wars yeah. uh, or in the intelligence yeah. services, mm -hmm. uh, in the national security right. realm, who are now stepping up running for public office. That, that is a real wellspring of, Isn't that wonderful? of talent and of yeah. people who, who are willing to put country over, right. uh, over party. I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I think it's wonderful. Um, the thing that, uh, uh, that 2008 will be remembered for in part is the vice presidential um, choice. Mm -hmm. And um, he, the senator wrote in his book, that he really wanted to pick his friend, Joe Lieberman, your friend as well, who was a, a Democrat, independent Democrat, had traveled the world with him, yeah. sh shared a, a views with him on national good and security issues. Too, a good man. And he thought what, that it would send a yeah. important signal. He's probably right about the kind of administration yeah. he'd have, that it would be a fusion yeah. Yeah. A ticket, and was told by his political people that he couldn't get Lieberman through the... Through the convention. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's indeed true. And, and I, I, was, I was sad because I know, I know what John envisioned and I know what he felt. And so I was, it, you know, it, I was sad that that didn't work out. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the game. That's the game we play. He, um, he ultimately chose Sarah Palin. He wrote... Uh, well of her in his book, and mm -hmm. you've spoken mm -hmm. well of her as well, but um, it is sort of indisputable that um, the kind of, there were, the forces that she, um, the forces that she whipped up in that campaign uh, turned out to be a forerunner to what we've seen today. And I remember, um, and I will always remember with, with incredible respect, this scene up in St. Paul in uh, 2008 at a rally, you probably mm -hmm. remember, I don't know if you were there, mm -hmm. but uh, someone stood up in the crowd and said, I, I'm frightened about Obama, mm -hmm. he's an Arab, he's not an American. Mm -hmm. And the senator grabbed the microphone away and said, no ma'am, he's, he's a good family man, he's a he's fine American, right. he, we just have differences. Yeah. And the, there was booing yeah. from uh, some in the crowd. Did you guys, when you left there, did you talk about that? Mm -hmm. Sure we did. He did the right thing. He asked me what I thought. I said, you did absolutely the right thing. Did it yeah. worry you about the country? Not did at that point, no. I think, I think there was a lot of, uh, 
misinformation running around Muslim, you know, all these things. You know, you know better than I do what they were throwing around. Yes. But um, uh, no, and it and that's not who John is either. I mean, that's you know, that's not something he would ever condone. Number one and number two, um, allow to be part of any administration. I mean, you know. It was a uh, it was a courageous moment. It was. It was the kind of moment that you know. You don't want those things only to happen in the West Wing right. or a TV show. Right. And that was kind of a, a West Wing moment. He came back to Arizona after that race. He had a tough race in 2010. Mm -hmm. Right wing uh, candidate ran against him in the primary. Mm -hmm. At the time, uh, in that election year, you were kind of involved in your own campaign in California mm -hmm. over the issue of same-sex marriage. Right. There had been a, right. an initiative passed there. Mm -hmm. To ban it, mm -hmm. and you and Megan posed for no hate. Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. You and you posed with a mm -hmm. with with a uh, mm -hmm. tape across your your mouth and so on, um, and you were pretty outspoken on mm -hmm. it. Um, first of all, was that problematical for him back here? I think a little bit, sure. Um, but but with that said, let me say why I did it too, because yes. I felt it was very yeah, important. Yeah. Um, Gays had been allowed to adopt. And I didn't think that it was very fair to a child to say, well, they're allowed to adopt, but they can't get married. What does that say to the child? So I went about it because I'm an adoptive parent. So I came about it in a different, in a different light. Um, and I, thought, I just thought it was wrong. I thought it was time you know, to do this. And so that's why I did it. Um, a lot of members of the party were fine with it. A lot weren't. You know, just depending on where you were, what part of the country you were in. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't ask you to stand down on no, this. No, 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 no. Um, what do you think about the trajectory of the issue? I mean, it's, that seems like ancient history, though. It does now. But we've it? come yeah. uh, a long way on it. Mm -hmm. We've come a long way on it. Um, again, it's, it's human rights. It's dignity for all. It's, you know, it's, it's um, uh, equality. It, it's every, you know, that's who we are as Americans. We have a gay candidate running for, openly gay candidate, yeah. married candidate, running for president of the United States yeah. now, Pete Buttigieg. Um, that's, that's historic. It is historic. It really is. Do you think that's a barrier to him or will be? I think in some parts of the country it probably will be a barrier for him. I hope not. Uh, I, they have an interesting collection of people running. I think it's kind of fun to watch just to see all the differences and all the, all the uh, you know, all that's going on. Yeah. Probably easier to be a Republican and be interested in the, uh, <laughs> in the assignments. What, what are the, uh, what, what do you think about that field when you say you, there, there's an interesting collection of people? Are there, are there people who, plausible presidents among them? Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, they're, they're all good people. They're wonderful at, at different backgrounds. I just like the diversity of what, what it is. I mean, you know, from every, almost every walk of life is, is, is on that stage at the debates, et cetera, and running. I, it's fun to watch, you know, to see the involvement. Um, I do think it's probably time to start paring down a bit, but, but that's, you know, that's, see, we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah. um, I, so you're watching with interest. I am. Yeah, it's interesting. I love debates and, and you know, political races. As, as, it's fun as, to watch. As long as you're, you're, you, you, yeah. your family members are not involved in that. <laughs> exactly. You are an Arizonan through and through. In fact, we're, we're sitting at your place and you're a block from where you grew mm -hmm. up. 
Tell me about that, about this neighborhood, about yeah. growing up here, about yeah. your folks. Mm -hmm. Well, I did. I grew up a block from here, as our children did, too. We lived in the home that I was raised in for a long time. And uh, it's a very, to me, it's a very peaceful neighborhood. It's an older neighborhood. Uh, it's a part of Phoenix that's well established in terms of the length of history. The fam many families here are second, third generation in these homes. You know, they are living in this, like I am, living in the same place that we all grew up in. Uh, my parents were, my dad was the American dream. Uh, he went, went away to, you know, grew up very poor here, went away to World War II, came back, he became a pilot and a bombardier on B-17s, came home and he was able, to, he married my mother and of course they sold everything they had to get $5,000 so my dad could get the Anheuser-Busch brand. Yeah, not a bad brand. Because no one wanted it in those days, they thought it was a bad brand. So, yeah. And he became quite, he, quite he did. successful. It's a perfect American dream. But you uh, describe him not so much as a businessman, but sort of a cowboy. Yeah, very that much. Business, the beer was his business, but he yeah. loved horses and adventure yep. and so on. He did. On. He was a real, um, he was a cowboy. He was a cowboy in the best, I mean that in the best way, because he was very down to earth. He never met anyone he didn't like, and everyone loved him, and he knew everyone's name. And that's a real, in my opinion, that's kind of a Western trait to a great degree. And uh, he spent as much time as he could on horseback and me, me with him a lot of times, which was great fun. We used to ride horses around the world yeah. in various countries. And um, you, you went to drag races when you were in yeah. high school. You were a scuba <laughs> diver. You, you, you got yourself trained as a pilot mm -hmm. so you could fly uh, I guess then Congressman McCain. Yeah, then Congressman McCain. That's around right. Arizona in in that I did. campaign. So you, you're sort of an adventurer yourself. I'm sure I get that from my dad. Yeah. A little influence from John too. Yeah. <laughs> Your mom was described as a refined person. So you, you mm -hmm. you're sort of the combination of the two of them. Yes, I am. <laughs> my mother was this very prim and proper Southern woman. She stepped off the train in her white gloves and her hat in Tucson, Arizona, in August of 1945. It was a thousand degrees at that time and she I'm sure had went through her head what have <laughs> I done <laughs> how did I get here because <laughs> it was a dust bowl down there then and and the, and they were with you when you first met mm -hmm. uh, John McCain mm -hmm. talk about that evening yeah. you were on vacation in Hawaii I was I was a school teacher at the time I taught special ed and uh, we were invited to a reception that sink the sink pack admiral uh, was holding because my dad knew him and, uh, and it was in honor of those flying through from Washington to China. It was, it was a Senate delegation, and John was the escort officer. And yeah, he was still in the military. In the he was. At the time. He was, yeah. yeah. And, he, and it, the kind of thing, I, we'd had a mutual friend that had been trying to set us up, and I would have none of that. I wasn't going to do that, and then I wound up meeting him anyway, so it yeah. was great. And uh, he described it as love at first sight. I don't know if he was speaking for you <laughs> as well. I think both of us. <laughs> yeah. And what, what was it that attracted you to him? Oh, his intelligence. He was a voracious reader. Um, he, he was exciting. I mean, he'd done, done a lot of things. He obviously had a lot of, of difficulty, too, at that point. But uh, he just had this amazing liveliness to him, which I was really attracted to. A lot of difficulty is... Like one of the Prisoner world gra world greatest uh, euphemisms there yeah. for having been in prison yeah. for five and a half years mm -hmm. in, in, uh, mm -hmm. in North Vietnam. Yeah, um, you you lied to each other as your 
first. We did. Yeah. Tissue of lies now. <laughs> no, we, uh, we both lied to each other about our age. He made himself three or four years younger, and I made myself about three or four years older. And in Arizona, in those days, when you applied for a marriage license, they published that in the newspaper. But we were, I wasn't going to lie you know, to the judge or anybody else <laughs> trying to get this thing. So that's how we found out how old we were. <laughs> yeah, so through the legal process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to... And did you say... Wait a second. Yeah, I know. I said the same thing to him, and he goes, wait a second. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered, because I, in fact, I never felt an age difference, and he was almost 18 years older than I am. Yeah. You came back here, and he worked uh, for and with your mm -hmm. dad, and but very quickly, there was a congressional seat mm -hmm. that opened up. Yeah. And so there you were, newly married, mm -hmm. uh, in your mid-20s. 20s, yeah. And you plunged into a political campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, and how did you take to that? The way it was reported was you were pretty deeply involved that you I went was. to all the meetings. And well, we had no money. So, I mean, I was free labor. So I, I knocked door to door with him in the summer. I was obviously in all the meetings because it was, it, in those days, it was a small race. And it was, but it's always hard fought and highly contested. And so it was important to have everybody involved. I mean, we rolled out the whole family. But so. when he won, and, and the family was pretty useful, yeah. uh, I'm sure, yeah. uh, because he was really sort of an itinerant. This was, mm -hmm. he adopted this community and this community mm -hmm. adopted him. Well, they called him a carpetbagger, which is wild. And finally, in one of his speeches one day, he addressed the issue and he said, you know, the longest place I have ever lived in my entire life was Hanoi, because he was, you know, yeah, a Navy right. family. And so that kind of shut everybody up. Yeah. <laughs> That is, as an old political consultant, I would say that is a shutdown. Yeah, line. it's a shutdown. Hard to <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> hard to respond to that one. But when he won, uh -huh. and he won handily, yeah. um, you you chose not to stay in Washington, mm -hmm. which was more common mm -hmm. uh, back in that mm -hmm. day. Why did you decide to stay in Arizona? Well, I'm an only child, and you know, at that time, my my dad was trying to get me involved in the company and I wanted to be involved in the company and so I felt like it was I needed to take that time and and, and be here for my parents a little bit too. We had no children at that point. Uh, when we started having children there was no, cho no choice we were going to raise them out here because Washington is no place in my opinion to raise a family doing what we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, uh, it you know, it was it, it was harder for John later on because he made the commitment to come home every weekend because we had kids. And that's a big, we didn't have nonstop flights in those days. It was yeah. none of that. So he really had a, he'd made a huge commitment to us by doing that. It's hard though. It's hard, hard for him. Hard for you. You had uh, ultimately a house full of kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Which I wanted. <laughs> and you guys were, but you guys were separated quite mm -hmm. a bit. Mm -hmm. that, that's a sacrifice. People you know, are disdainful of politics, mm -hmm. disdainful of politicians, mm -hmm. but there's a sacrifice involved in serving, and this is one of them, and it's not just paid, almost like serving the military, yeah. it's not just paid by the, the person who serves, but right. by the family as mm -hmm. well. That's very true. Uh, what I used to tell the kids when he wasn't home during the week, when they became old enough to either watch TV or any of that, I'd say, well, Dad's on deployment. He's deployed right now, and he'll be home. He's in Washington, and he'll be home, you know, when he comes home. And I don't think they ever felt like they were missing anything. I think that because of the way we staged it for them and made sure they understand service and all of that, it was fine. Was he able to um, let go of all of that and attend to the kids when he got Yeah, home? he was really good at that. He was. I mean, there certainly as campaigns drew near, you know, especially a House race, but then on to the Senate, things became a little more 
you know, complicated, but mm -hmm. it, it was, he was very devoted. You, um, you grew up in, in privilege, but you've dealt with some really tough challenges mm -hmm. in your life, which goes to mm -hmm. show that there's no guarantee, no. whoever you are. No. One of them was drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you became addicted in a way that has now become familiar mm -hmm. to, sadly, to millions mm -hmm. uh, of Americans. T tell me about mm -hmm. that. Well, I became addicted to prescription drugs because I'd had a terrible back problem. and. Um, you lifted up a child. And I did. I carried one of my babies on my back at Disneyland, which didn't help at all. But uh, as we rolled into this, it was complicated by the fact that the Keating Five issue was was yes. hot at that this time. This was probably the only ethical right. issue that John McCain ever faced ever. in his in his And as life. you know, he was savings uh, and loan right. crisis. And yeah, they declared it. You know, him. Made, he made a mistake, but it wasn't. A terrible Intervene mistake. with a regulator on behalf right. of someone who had been a supporter. Right. Well, it was, you know, the, the, as far as the addiction goes, um, it was, I could see myself, it's weird, I could see myself spiraling because I went and sat every day in the hearings. And that's hard to do. Uh, I mean, that, the world cameras are on you and I, I, I had to be there. I mean, I would, would not have wanted, I had to be there. And it just was this pendulum that started swinging down and down and down. And um, I knew by the end of that that I was in big trouble. Yeah. The, um, so really, you were dealing. You were dealing with not just physical pain, but yeah, the emotional pain of what was going on. I, I, it's very hard to describe. Anyone who's been through something like that understands it. But for me, it was. It just. You know, I found out a great deal about myself, obviously. I had a weakness. And more importantly, though, I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery now for 30-some years. And um, uh, it made me a better parent, you know, to, to understand that there's, there's, there can be problems. You may not to look closer yeah. at the problems because I hid it really well from John. Yes. You, I hid it from him. This went on for quite a long time. Went on for a couple of years, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and he did not know until mm -hmm. you, you were running a you you started mm -hmm. a very admirable yeah. uh, NGO mm -hmm. kind of organization to bring medical mm -hmm. care to underserved uh, communities yeah. around the world. Yeah, and you ended up uh, uh, misappropriating. I did medications I did. from from mm -hmm. that organization, mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. in service of trying to mm -hmm. keep this I did. a secret. Yeah, it was. It was. It was all about. Honestly, I, I, it was pressure that I put on myself, and it was becoming, being the perfect wife. When he got home, I wanted to be perfect. I wanted the kids perfect. You know, it just, it, it I put undue stress on my, on myself. Uh, as a result of that, I just couldn't handle it all. So now you, you've watched this opioid crisis yes. really overtake. The yeah. country. What What are your feelings about that? You must have a great sense of identification. Oh, with people who are going through it. Completely. Listen, um, you didn't have to go two steps before you could have a doctor prescribe anything you wanted in those days. And what doctors would do, and it's not just me. It's like, oh, honey, you're not. You just go home. Go home and have a drink, or go home. Let me give you these pills. It. It was way too easy to get this stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm totally at fault. I did this. 
but it's way too easy to get it. And I'm glad that people are beginning now to take action in making sure that that's not the case and that only those who truly need it. You know, we talk about all those people who are going through opioid addiction, mm -hmm. but very few have to go through it in the public mm -hmm, eye. Mm -hmm. um, how much more difficult is that? That's We talk about yeah. the sacrifices people make yeah. from being in public mm -hmm. life. I mm -hmm. mean, it's a struggle enough to go through these things, but to have to yeah. do them in front of everybody, in the bright lights. Yeah. Well, I learned the one thing I learned was is that the worst thing that you can do to an addict or someone trying to get into recovery is to make fun of them, or to publicize them, or to beat them up, because you're at your most vulnerable point, and all you want to do is just take care of yourself and and, and move through this. And so what they did to me, what the, what the press did to me, uh, was to just scathingly beat the crap out of me. And so, you know, yes, I made a mistake, and I sure, you know, we're in the public, so I certainly deserve to be talked about that, not that way, but talked about the issue. And instead, they, cartoons and things, it just, that's the worst thing you can do to an addict, because an addict doesn't want this to be the, you know, we, it's hard, hard enough, and then to have to move through it publicly. Were your kids old enough to know? They were, I talked to all of them, they were old enough to know, yes. And, but also, you know, what I, what, what John and I both told them is that everyone makes mistakes. And this was a horrible mistake on my part, but it was also an addiction. It's an illness. And so it's to be able to point. teach them that um, addiction is, 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 it's an illness. Yes, there are mistakes made all too often in it, but it, you're sick, you need to get help. You, you also, while you uh, were still in, in your 40s, you had a stroke, mm -hmm. which is really mm -hmm. unusual. Yeah, it was. What, what happened? I had uh, just returned from Asia. I'd been on spring break with my kids, and we went, we went to Japan um, dra uh, drift racing. And I, I came home, and I, the next morning I was up. I got up and went to lunch with some friends, and I was mid-sentence. And all of a sudden, the stuff that was coming out of my mouth was in... They couldn't understand what I was saying. Did you know that you... Did I you knew know? something was wrong, and then I kind of just went fuzzy and... I remember some of what happened the rest of the day, but it was a full bleed. Yeah, it was, I had high blood pressure, and of course I thought, well, if I eat right, and if I exercise, and I don't need to take this stuff, I became the MD, so I kind of screwed up that day, because I really needed to be taking my blood pressure medicine, and I do now, religiously. So, uh, your son, I guess it's your son Jack, mm -hmm. uh, decided that the best thing for your mm -hmm. recovery was to, to, to go out drifting. Yep. Uh, Six months in, or something. Six months to into recovery, it. you went to California to to, to recover. Mm -hmm. What is drifting? Well, drift racing is a form of car racing. Uh, it's where you basically take the track and instead of dri how you drive around the track, you're kind of skidding. That's the best way I can describe it. How fast it. are you driving? Uh, you're going. It depends on the car and depends on the size of the track and, of course, you know what what else you want to do with it. But I mean, we Jack and I built a drift car together, and so. Uh, so this is the Jim Hensley. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But yeah, so we had a. He said, "Mom, and you were reluctant, right?" I was reluctant because I had, you know, hadn't been that long, and I was feeling okay. But I, you know, you don't trust yourself after that. And we went drifting that day. We did not win, but we had a hell of a time. We were the only mother-son <laughs> team out there on the track, so it was fun. <laughs> did, you, did it? Did that give you? Did that help you recover from? Yeah. 
from the stroke. Yeah, you are you are a world class uh, philanthropist, mm, and thank you. Uh, and a lot of the things that you've done have flowed from your experience, mm -hmm. uh, uh, from your uh, from your travels. I mentioned earlier that you had started this organization mm -hmm. uh, to bring medical units mm -hmm. to places that didn't have. That was the result. You were scuba diving with a friend, and mm -hmm. she got injured in Micronesia. Mm -hmm. Micronesia, mm -hmm. and, and she wound up at the clinic. And so John and I, uh, her husband was stayed with her, and John and I went. And they gave us a little tour of this, and this was a, a national health service uh, hospital, so NIH kind of thing, and it was despicable. I mean, it was, it was there was ra there were rats or running water in the floor. There were no beds. I mean, it was, I'd never seen anything like that before. So I just started the, the good old-fashioned way. I got my friends together, and we put some supplies together, and then put a team of doctors and nurses together. Yeah, and 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 all over the world. Mm -hmm. or yeah, we were we were fast responders because of the way I'd staged the equipment and stuff. So we were able to, in those days, for instance, I mean, the the Rwandan uh, genocide. We responded to that only on the Congolese side, and uh, it, you know, we were able to do that and get in because we were lean and mean. Like, uh, and it was it was a great experience. Yeah, must have been painful when you had to. Shut that down. Although you're conti you've continued, I moved in it. Yeah, ways. I moved yeah. it. I just yeah. moved it. It was a choice between. I had my kids, you know, and they were becoming teenagers, which is really dicey. <laughs> and I just needed to be here, and so I decided to do it a different way. Yeah, uh, you're also very well known for your work on human trafficking, mm -hmm. and that also started as a result of. A, a journey uh, mm -hmm. that you took. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Well, I was in, uh, our daughter came, our youngest child came from Mother Teresa's orphanage in Bangladesh. And, but it, it, so the, the Mother Teresa held a great, obviously, m spot in my heart. And I went to go, uh, I had met her before, but I went to go see her grave. So it, we were in Calcutta and we were uh, you know, obviously paying our respects to her and and all those things. And when I came out, um, I reminded myself I wanted to get some sari material for my daughter and bring it home to her. And I went shopping. I'm in this small kiosk. You know, in Calcutta, it's busy and it's noisy and it's dusty and there's smells and all the all kinds of things. And while I'm shopping, I I kind of hear this kind of rumbling kind of movement from underneath the floorboards. And um, uh, I asked the, the owner, and he, and he said, oh, no, that's just my family. They live down there. That's a very plausible thing. I, I bel would believe that, um, you know, because you just, just how things are so you there. So you saw faces. Well, when I, when I went to go pay, I, I, there were slats, you know, little narrow slats in it. I could look down, and I could see all these little sets of eyes looking up at me. And I asked him again, I go, what's going on? And he became very kind of, you know, we're not going to talk about this. It was very clear. There had to have been 50 little girls down there. Mm. And so I thought I knew what that was, but I did, I, you know, I had to go home and educate myself and, and really find out what this meant because I didn't know. Yeah. And it was... Uh, and then when you did, mm -hmm. what, what did you do? Well, number one, it made me angry as hell, number one. But number two... I thought, like so many other people, that we this only happened outside our country. So I started to focus on foreign governments and foreign countries, et cetera. 
only to realize later on as we get further into this that it is an epidemic in the United States. And so uh, I kind of went into it backwards, but um, it's a huge problem here. Yeah. And so the more we can do to help stop it and make people aware of it, the better off we're going to be. You've been active here in Arizona mm -hmm. and in other states to mm -hmm. try and actually get state yeah. uh, laws to, yeah. to uh, focus we on We did, this. yeah. And I know it's a focus of the McCain Institute mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that you and your husband started. How pervasive is, is the problem getting worse globally? You know, we have all this migration yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. uh, you know, so many uprooted, yeah. desperate uh, people. Are, are we doing enough? No, we're not. Um, I, I spend, each time I go to these regions, I always spend time in a refugee camp, wherever it is. Uh, I just came from Lebanon, in fact, uh, because, because what you're seeing is the, the world's most vulnerable who have been pushed out of, of wherever they were from, for, from either war, famine, whatever it may be this time, drought, um, and, of course, they prey on the most vulnerable, women and children. And, uh, and these traffickers, I think it's more prevalent now because, number one, the Internet, we, we hear more about it. But number two, the ability to, to, for these traffickers to contact each other and be, be, keep their network stronger and mo more mobile and more sleek in terms of moving people around. It's the same people that run guns, drugs, and animals. They run people, too. Only people can be sold over and over and over again, unlike drugs and guns. Um, another issue that you were uh, and have been involved with is the issue of landmines, mm -hmm. un unspent landmines mm -hmm. that end up mm -hmm. having deadly uh, consequences. Yeah. And there's a story associated with this uh, as well uh, about your travels to Kuwait mm -hmm. in 1991. Mm -hmm. And you saw something so... Mm -hmm. They had put landmines in the playgrounds. The Iraqis had planted landmines in the Kuwaiti playgrounds. And so these kids were coming outside for the first time in seven, eight months to play on playgrounds and were being blown up. It, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And, and the fact that, that not only that it was done, but, no, but there was, at that point there wasn't much in the way of detection. And so I became very involved in Halo Trust because of that. Which is, that's the global organization. Mm -hmm. I think Princess Diana was deeply yes, involved yeah. with it. Now Prince Harry is, yeah, he is. Uh, deeply uh, involved, uh, involved with it. You mentioned your daughter, Bridget, mm -hmm. uh, before. You, that, yeah. that was also a result of the work mm -hmm. uh, that you were doing. Mm -hmm. You were in Bangladesh. You were at Mother Teresa's mm -hmm. orphanage. Mm -hmm. And you came across this child mm -hmm. and it was another case of love at first mm -hmm, sight. It was. She picked me. There were actually two babies because the, the nuns came to me and they said, well, this baby has a heart condition and they're not going to let us treat her or, get, or let her get treatment because she was a little girl baby. And, of course, Bridget had a very serious facial deformity, cleft palate, cleft lip, all that kind of stuff. And, and they prevailed on me. You've got to take them back and, and get help for them. And uh, indeed, I was able to do that. I was in a situation, my husband was who he was, I was able to get medical visas for them very quickly, get passports, all those things. And I realized on the flight home, I couldn't give this child up. I, I, I'd become so attached to her, because and and, I'd been seeing her over weeks, you know. And, and so uh, when we landed in Phoenix, my husband met, met us at the airplane, and, and we're facing cameras and all kinds of stuff with these kids. And, 
And he said, well, where is she, under his breath, kind of goes, where is she going to go? And I said, well, I thought you'd come to our house. He said, well, I thought so. <laughs> That's how he met his daughter. <laughs> he, 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 he was an amazing well man. Enough. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. And I would, I would challenge anyone to walk into that situation and not do the exact same thing I did. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you um, uh, about a couple of things you said earlier. First of all, you, you, you mentioned that you had become a special ed teacher. Mm -hmm. You went you got a master's degree I in did, special education. Yeah. Why? Just a vulnerability. I felt like it, you know, I, I'd gone to school with kids that did not have the opportunity to have special education and both physical and mentally challenged. And the bullying and the, they made people made fun of them, including the teachers. It was just horrible. And so I felt like it was something that I needed to be doing uh, with that. And with Is there something about what, what made you, you seem to have a sense of identification with people who are struggling. Yeah, I guess so. And where do you think that comes from? I just think that life experiences, number one, you become a parent and you see the world in completely different eyes. But I think it's also, uh, it's just something that's it's in you. I don't know. I, I tell people to follow their hearts and choosing a way to give back. Don't do it for an organization or, or anybody else unless you believe in it. And make sure it moves you here because that's, that's when the best work's done, is if you can, if you can, if you love what you're doing, not doing it because everyone else expects you to do it. I spoke with the senator's team mm -hmm. uh, during that period when he was ill and after, mm -hmm. when he found out, when he, he got the, uh, uh, the diagnosis, yeah. and they said um, that they were devastated, mm -hmm. and he was like, suck it up, we've got work to do here, we've yeah, got a pl right. planning mm -hmm. uh, to do here. What about you? Um, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck, I'll be honest with you. And I also knew that I had to, to keep myself together and show him that I, you know, that I was gonna, I could be okay, I'm gonna, and that I would stick with him. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, and he was no different, you wonder, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, here I am this ill. Now what, what's going to happen? You know, now what, what am I going to do? And we, of course, he had, a, he had it his way the whole way and where it, where it ended and everything else. It, um, as you know, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's quite a blow to a family. And yes, he did tell the staff to suck it up and he joked with them and made cancer jokes, which is really weird. But anyway, um, he's just, just who, he, who he was and what he stood for. You know, yeah. he was a... The staff, though, were, they, they were all with us when he passed, the day he passed. We knew it was coming. And so we had the whole family there with the exception of Jack, because Jack was in Afghanistan. And we had key staff that were there. And, you know, he went out his own way. I don't know if you've heard the story. I, I have heard it, but I would love yeah. you to tell it again. Well, we had him, uh, we just finished lunch, and it was close. We, I knew it was close. And so we were, I, for some reason, I... I our uh, house had doors like that. They swung open like Hawaiian doors. And I, I single-handedly took his bed and pushed it out on the patio uh, so he could see everything, even though he wasn't awake at this point, but so that he could be in the elements that he loved so much. And He was overlooking that you have a creek mm -hmm. in the back, yeah. back right. of, your, of right. your house. He was overlooking the creek, and he could see all of his trees and all of the flowers that he had initiated and all these things. 
and um, all of a sudden, because we had his playlist going, and so the, on the playlist, all of a sudden it comes up Frank Sinatra, My Way, <laughs> and then... Just on its own. On its own. I mean, on its own, and then the, one of the hawks that, that he loved so much that nested up there was there on the corner... A couple of hawks, endangered Right, they're endangered birds. hawks, yeah. Uh, from the corner, they were, he was sitting on the corner of the roof, and then he took and he flew across the yard and landed in a low tree just looking at us and stayed right there, and that was about the moment Don passed. I mean, it was... You could not... That was... That's a novel. I know, I know. He... It's, it's absolutely novel. I mean, he did it his way. That's what yeah. it was all about. And part of what he did was he structured the last months of his life mm -hmm. and his memorial mm -hmm. uh, to focus the country mm -hmm. on, yeah. uh, on, on coming mm -hmm. together, on mm -hmm. trying to get past... Right. Uh, where we were. Right. Your husband was undergoing really dramatic uh, treatment for his cancer, debilitating treatment, and in the midst of this, in the summer of 2017, mm -hmm. he announced that he was going to come back to Washington to participate in the debate over the repeal right. of the Affordable Care Act. Right. He wasn't, apparently the doctors weren't that thrilled. Oh, no one was thrilled with it. Yeah, the doctors, everyone. Yeah, uh, so, so you got a private plane in? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he insisted. He insisted. He said, it's, this is what I need to do. This is where I, you know, we, I have to do this. It's too important to the country. And he just put his foot down. I mean, Megan was asking him not to go. We all were. And he just put his foot down and said, I'm going. And so we all were kind of looking at him on the airplane because they had said, you know, the pressure and can, can burst things in your head and all this stuff. So we were all sitting there expecting his head to explode or something <laughs> on the site. We had a dust buster, you know. I'm joking, of course. Yes. But, but um, uh, and he, he took that vote that night, and I'm so proud of him. Yeah, well, I want to I talk about the vote. I also want to talk about the speech that he made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, both, both I think, were, were so important, but yeah. everybody remembers, president not the least of them, uh, but uh, when he walked out on the floor, mm -hmm. he was the deciding vote the on deciding. whether to repeal the Affordable Care Act without a replacement. Right. Uh, and he walked in, up to the well, and he uh, turned his thumb down. It was one of the most uh, historic thumb, thumbs, down thumbs down ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, where were you when that was happening? I was at our house in Washington. I was, mm -hmm. I was waiting for him to get home, actually. It was very late at night yes. when it took place. And, yeah, so I was watching, though. And did you know that he was going to do that? He, you know, something, when he walked in that, I, I thought I knew that he would do the thumbs down, but, you know, people were waiting in the back rooms and, and, and governors were calling, and, I mean, there was a heavy push on him that yes, night. Yes, Vice President Pence mm -hmm. uh, took him took aside him. several times right. to talk to him and put the president on the phone with him. Right, and, and he, he just, he, well, you know, he, he always tried to do what, was, what he felt was right for the country. And I think in that case, he was right. There was no other, I mean, there was no other pr presentation of anything that was better or different or anything else. And he didn't, didn't think it was the right thing to do. He did catch holy down. hell from... Oh, yeah. <laughs> from everybody. It, did, it, did it bother him? No, not at all. He knew he did the right thing. Uh, did the fact that he had been ill and had gone through what he went through, did that impact on his thinking about what a repeal without a replacement would mean? I think it had something to do with it, sure. How could it not? Uh, although we never actually talked about that. But I think 
certainly it played into it. Yeah. Um, John didn't have health scares. You know, it, he had the, he had his cancer thing, but it was it, it, his skin cancer thing. But it was, you know, he was for the most part a very healthy man yeah. until this occurred. He um, so he he in the midst of that same debate, he stood up uh, a little bit before I think he made that vote, mm -hmm. and he gave what was really his last big oration mm -hmm. to the Senate, mm -hmm. and it was, it, was, um, it was really a beautiful speech, and it was a call for people to stand down, right. to find themselves in each other. Mm -hmm. He talked about how, he said, we can stand here and blame each other for how we got to where we got, right. and he said, and I am willing to take my share of the blame. Mm -hmm. He said, there were times when I let yeah. my passions override. Right reason mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and valued winning over. Over, yeah. And, and um, but uh, what was clear from that is that he was also nostalgic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you read his book and I had the honor of sitting with him mm -hmm. at one of these tables, the very first Axe Files TV mm -hmm. show he ever did. And he talked about some of the Democrats that he had worked yeah. with and fought with, yeah. Ted Kennedy uh, in particular, and spoke really lovingly yeah. about both their alliances on issues like climate change and immigration, right. their battles on other issues, mm -hmm. and how they could leave the Senate floor having battered each other mm -hmm. uh, with arms around each other. Mm -hmm. um, that's almost inconceivable today. It is, and that's too bad because the, the kinds of relationships and friendships that John made, uh, not just with our own party, but with as members from across the aisle, were, were indelible to what was going on in the country. I mean, it, that's how you get things done. And, and it, the one thing that he knew, and he, as he said, he made many mistakes, but the one thing that he knew was, is that we were never gonna move forward unless we worked together, ever. And so uh, he, you know, I, I loved seeing those, those moments when he'd come off the floor and he and Ted were like bear hugging over in the corner. I mean, it was cute, it was sweet, and it was really great for the country. One of the most poignant moments uh, that I think no one, uh, re was not a public moment, was um, he would go over and visit with Morris Udall, mm -hmm. who was yeah. really one of the giant mm -hmm. um, progressive figures right. in the yeah. Democrat from Arizona, right. and he had Parkinson's disease right. and was debilitated, and your husband would go over and read the Arizona papers to him once a week. He would, that's right, he did. You know, Mo took a great interest in John when John was first elected to Congress, and really mentored him on issues that were, that were around land and water, and you know, the land usage, all the things you know, out west, yeah, that, you know, they're critical. a big deal here. Yeah. Um, and so he really, he's the one that mentored him and taught him uh, about, you know, how to take care of the land, more importantly. And I think his love of, of wildlife and things came from Mo, to be honest with you. They were good friends yeah. uh, for a long time. And so he felt very, he felt much like a father to John, I know. And um, John just loved him to death. It was, you know, it was a very sad day in our house when we, lo when we lost him. You and the senator... Um invited Presidents Bush and Obama, mm -hmm. two former opponents mm -hmm. uh, in hard-fought fought races and uh, from each party mm -hmm. uh, with whom he had disagreements yeah. uh, over the years uh, to speak at his service at the, uh, at the National Cathedral in Washington. Why was this so important 
to both of you mm -hmm. that uh, that they that they be there. What signal did you want to send to the country? Well, I think number one, he respected both men. Um, you know, having had you know challenges by both of them, I think he respected both of them. Respected their leadership, their their honesty to a great degree. Uh, and I think also in his mind, we never talked about this, by the way, but, but in his mind, I believe he wanted to show um, the kinds of things that that, that that did. It was a coming together. It was a respect for, for both sides, you know, a, 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 a well-fought races uh, don't mean that you're, that you're enemies kind of thing. I think there were a lot of messages in that. I don't, and he never told any of us why to be honest with you. But he called both of them himself mm -hmm. to do it, uh, yeah. to ask them. Yeah, and I'm sure they didn't hesitate for a minute no, to, no. to say yes. So you had two presidents speaking. There was one president who wasn't there, obviously, and that was uh, President Trump. Uh, why? Well, I had, to, I had to worry about my family. And the family was, was somewhat bitter about things that had been said about their dad. And so um, it was, would have been very disruptive to my children. And, and so I took their lead on this whole thing. It was, it was ultimately my choice and my decision. Uh, but it just, I just didn't want any disruption. I didn't want anything to overshadow John McCain that day, because that's why we were there. Mm -hmm. and I felt it was more important to, to respect John and the family than it was to the um, yeah, words matter. Words matter. Words matter, um, especially you, to a dying man. Did you um, did you hear from the president? Did he appeal to you? No, mm -hmm. no. I I have no idea if, if he appealed to anybody. To be honest with you, I never heard. Mm -hmm. um, Megan uh, spoke. You you said she's uh, John McCain in a skirt. Mm -hmm. Never so much as that. Mm -hmm. Day and she delivered a pretty scalding. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a, it was a soaring mm -hmm. tribute to her dad and a pretty uh, a scalding rebuke of the of the president. You you did you see her words before she? No, I knew she was speaking. Obviously, I did not. I was had so many other things going on. I did not see what she was going to say. I trusted her, and I think she did a beautiful job. Mm -hmm. I think her dad would have been proud of her. Yeah. Um, do you, um, are there times, I'm sure that there were times when he spoke out and he was, and, and you worried about how outspoken he was, but as a mom, uh, do you worry at times about how outspoken uh, Megan is? No, I don't. Uh, like, like her father, she can handle it and she's smart and, um, you know, she has a voice, and God bless her. She people are listening to her voice. I'm just very proud of her. And, and her dad, you know, she spoke to her dad two or three times a day when he was alive. You know, during the especially when before she took the View job, but then particularly when she was on the View, and he was ill by then. And uh, she spoke to him, you know, every day to just bounce things off him to not only to find out how he was, but to just to, you know, she was she was collecting her voice at that point. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's probably still bouncing things off of him in some she form is. or fashion. She is. I'm sure she is. <laughs> uh, you've launched a whole campaign uh, around, you, you launched a campaign around the anniversary of uh, the senator's uh, birthday and, and, and death, which were uh, 
-hmm. close in proximity uh, to promote civility mm -hmm. in the public square. It, it, yeah. I, I think the hashtag's still active, right? Acts Act, of civility. Hashtag acts of civility. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, you're doing this through the, the McCain Institute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, tell, tell me what you, it, it feels as if you're kind of sailing into the wind here at this moment. This is a particularly <laughs> difficult time, impeachment. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, I didn't ask you whether you thought they sh there should be an, uh, an impeachment inquiry. I think they'd need to let the process run. I think they need, you know, if this is the intent of both sides, there's a process to this and uh, present the evidence like we, d you know, do. I, I, didn't, I, I don't know what to think, to be honest with you, I, you know, with regards to the, all the elements that are involved in this. So you think the process should move forward? I do. I think the process should, should yes, move forward if that's what they're going to do. But, but remembering that you know, all this is constitutional as well, keeping within the margins of what, what is actually constitutional in all of this. Um, but anyway, that's part of the backdrop. And uh, we also have an election that it promises to be uh, vituperative. Mm -hmm. um, given the course, coarseness of our politics today and all this tribalism, uh, do, you, do you think we can you know, heal the breach? And what do you hope to accomplish with your campaign? Right. Explain what it is. For yeah. Well, it's, it's just the simple words, acts of civility. And I challenged people to post an act of civility, whatever that may be. Uh, it could be helping someone that day or whatever. I mean, helping an elderly person, I don't know, but just an act of civility. What I, I was asking people to take a breath, look around, Let's be kind to each other. Let's be generous to each other. Let's take a step back and remember, uh, you know, kindness goes much further than anger does. And so I, it, for me, it's just reminding people of what, where we came from and what we should be doing. How's the response been? It's been overwhelming. I, was, I wasn't sure what to expect, to be honest with you, and it's been, it's been incredible. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we, we forget. Mm -hmm our common humanity, right? you know, beyond red and blue and right. party and 24-hour right. Right. news and, news all, and that. all that mm -hmm. stuff. We, we love, we, we have loss, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we share something mm -hmm. uh, that's... Yeah. Uh, your husband said um, in, his, uh, in his book, uh, as the end was approaching, he said, I'd like to see our politics begin to return to the purposes and practices that distinguish yeah. our history from the history of other nations. I'd like to recover the sense that we are more alike than different. We are citizens of a republic made of shared ideals forged in a new world to replace the tribal enmities that tormented the old one. Even in times of political turmoil such as these, we share that awesome heritage and the responsibility to embrace it. Um, words that sort of still give, that give me the the, yeah. the chills. Do you, um, I'm, I'm thinking now about you and how you mm -hmm. see your role uh, moving forward and uh, do you see yourself as trying to pick that torch up and become a, mm -hmm. a uh, uh, I, I don't want to say a warrior for yeah. reconciliation but. I understand. Um, you know I'm in charge of his legacy now and that's a big job. And part of his legacy is just exactly what he wrote in that book. And so I feel not only compelled to continue that, 
but more encouraged and more uh, and and much stronger about where we should take this. It's part of him, and I th we need to teach our children these lessons and our grandchildren these lessons. And his life, the way he led his life, is a good way to do that. And acts of civility are important. I mean, John admitted he had a temper, but he you know, he always would think twice, go back and apologize, try to. He tried to live the best he could. And so I think if we can just remind people of what is good about us and, and practice that, you know, practice, it's the golden rule, you know, just yeah. practice the golden rule. Well, Cindy, thank you, uh, thank you for that. Thank you for all the service that you, you. you've performed in the past and that you continue to through the Institute and all your you. other causes. And, and thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, brought to you by the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio. The executive producer of The Axe Files is Emily Stanitz. The show is also produced by Miriam Annenberg, Samantha Neal, and Allison Siegel. And special thanks to our partners at CNN, including Courtney Coop, Megan Marcus, and Ashley Lusk. For more programming from the IOP, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.